It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I'll ask you again, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Pastor Dave, you just prayed the cry of our heart. Did it resonate with anybody else? Is that your cry? That we would experience him. Amen. It is, I must say, it's kind of like a, a restart. Like this morning was like a little crazy and uh, appreciate your patience with all of us. I would have said, had I had a thought, a moment to think, to say to you first and foremost, thank you for the honor and the privilege to be able to speak. I don't take it lightly that you trusted me or you trusted Peter who trusted me to come and bring God's word to you. And uh, I take that very seriously and it's an honor to be here. I must confess, I need you to pray for me because in reality, I have a head cold and I, I'm pretty stubborn and I don't like having head colds. And so uh, as a result, I am totally reliant on him. I have rarely said this, but the older I get, the more I realize it. Would you pray for me? I'd appreciate it because if you pray, God's message will be a whole lot better. Does this make sense to anybody? Yeah. I believe God has a word for us tonight. Does anybody else? I believe that God has a word for us. We started this morning and we're going to conclude tonight. And I'm going to read a passage of scripture that I'm going to invite you to to join me. And out of respect for God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to start reading verses 11 to 15. 8, 11 to 15. I'm reading the New Living Translation. Luke 11. Luke 8, excuse me, verse 11. This is Jesus' um, meaning. He gives the meaning of the parable of the, of, the, of the seed scattered. And this is what he said. The meaning of the parable, the seed is God's word. The seed that fell on the footpath or the hard path represents those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Verse 13. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. Verse 14, the seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And verse 15, and the seed that fell on the good soil represents honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Let's pray. And I'm asking today, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, will be pleasing in your sight. And as the prophet Samuel prayed long ago, we pray right now, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You can have a seat. This morning, we talked about reaching out and touching Jesus, and we looked at the three chairs, because in Laodicea, you're either hot you are cold or you are lukewarm? And we ask the question, which seat are you in? Now we know that it's obviously easy for us to move from one seat to the next. There have been moments in your life where you're in seat number one and you are incredibly hot for God. But because what I just read, the thorns, the cares, COVID, politics, the world situations has all of a sudden moved me into the lukewarm seat and I didn't even know I was there. I did everything I was supposed to do, but all of a sudden my heart feels distant and aloof from God. Does this make sense to anybody? Seat number three, we know clearly is somebody that's either in route cold, either in route towards God or somebody that has walked away from him. May I say 
to you, I'm a very honest, tell it like it is kind of guy. I would say to you that in my own opinion, we are in the greatest moment in the history of the church. I do believe we're in the middle of the, what scripture declares the great apostate, the turning away. I've, I'm ministering to family upon family upon family, watching their children who they raised to love Jesus walk away from their faith. Does this resonate with anybody? I would say to you tonight that my family is not exempt from that. I have three adult kids and our youngest, her last year in school, said I no longer believe. She's now in seat number three. I say that with not a lot of emotions, but I tell you there's a lot of emotion with that experience that I carry every, any parent know what I'm talking about? Carry it every single moment. It's there with me until I see her back, but I can't change her and I can't fix her. Does this make sense? So I'm calling us to the good soil to get out of the thorns and, and, and the rocks. And, and the way I would explain it is this, a poker stick. How many of you have been around somebody that's in seat number one? And they're ablaze for God. Do you like being around them? It's pretty contagious, isn't it? When you're around that individual, all of a sudden, you feel closer to God as a result of not what they say, not what they do, but who they are. Does this make sense? A poker stick's kind of like that. When you are, I'm calling us to be tonight, to be in chair one. And I'm telling us tonight that we need to be ablaze for God. God needs to, through the power of his Holy Spirit, to light our hearts on fire. And I don't care how many years you follow Jesus because only pride will keep you from saying, I want more of him. A poker stick, if you, di- if you doodle enough in the fire, it can get red hot and you put a paper close enough, what's gonna happen to that paper? It will burn ablaze. I don't know about you, but I wanna be that kind of individual just like this poker stick. I wanna be in chair number one. I wanna be in the good path. I want to be ablaze for God that when people get around me, it's not what I do, it's not what I say, but it's who I am that will connect them to the God who created them. Can I get an amen? Let me illustrate it one other way, not only with the poker stick, hopefully you will get it. I was just in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado this past week, and I love the Rocky Mountains. I lived there many years ago. And what I'm calling us to do tonight as it relates to our hearts to be ablaze as I'm asking us to jump over the edge into the arms of God. Now, in the Rocky Mountains, we all know that when I got up to the eight, 10,000 foot level, that if I, if I went to the edge of the, the mountain and, and I were to jump without a bungee cord or without a parachute, without any, any rope whatsoever, if I jumped over the edge, we all know what's gonna happen because we all understand the law of gravity, don't we? That when you're on the edge, You literally jump over the edge and the law of gravity pushes you down. And what I'm calling us tonight is simply this. I'm telling us to jump over the edge into the arms of God in such a way that we would never, ever want to go back. We would never want to be in chair number two. We would never want to be in chair number three. That we experience the God of the universe in such a way that we will only want to live him regardless of the things we cannot control ourselves. Let me just say it loudly and clear. There are so many things happening around us in North America that we simply cannot control. And we got our eyes fixed on that. 
I think it's time we get our eyes fixed on that which we know is eternal and unshakable. Can I get an amen? I want to reach out and touch him. Anybody else? I don't want to brush up against him. I want him and I want him afresh and anew. And I want him tonight. I want to give you some characteristics of what I think it looks like really practically and ask at the end of our service for you to respond and say, Lord, light my heart of fire. The first that I would say to you is simply this, a heart that's ablaze for God from that life, love will flow from that life. It's the greatest discipline that we have. First John chapter three says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we must lay down our lives for one another. If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear friends, do not let us love with word or tongue, but with action and with truth. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must love his brother. Can I get an amen? I'm reminded of Betty Olson, a missionary to Vietnam. Long story short, she dies in the jungles of Vietnam. She was with the CMA, the Christian Missionary Alliance. And one of the doctors that were with her actually survived that captivity and he came to know Christ. And as he was sharing his story, people would wonder why he came to Christ and they would think it's because he was somehow delivered from the captivity in Vietnam jungles. And his testimony is powerful. He said, no, you see, I was raised in the church. I was raised in camp meeting. I'd heard all the stories, but it wasn't until I was in those jungles when I watched Betty Olson love those who held her captive. And when I saw the way she loved until her last breath, all of a sudden something happened to me. And I realized with everything that I have that this was actually the truth. This was the truth and it changed my life. My friends, the world is desiring to be seen and to be heard and to be valued. And we can all do that. A life that is a blaze for God, love will flow from their life like nobody's else. And I would say to you today that it's not easy. I would say to you in each of my assignments that God has given me, I have not immediately loved everybody. When I lived overseas, I said, you guys are strange. And it took a while for me to actually get to the point of loving and caring for them. But if we're going to be a blaze for God, we got to be people that love flows from our life. Can I get an amen? The second is a life that is exemplifies prayer. James chapter four says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. You may spend what you get on yourselves. Jesus said, ask, seek and knock and the door will be opened unto you. Yes, I am convinced, my friends, that we live so far below where God wants us. We call Christians to a consumer mentality. And as a result, we all are there to be entertained and we miss the entire boat. God wants to give us more than we could ever dream or imagine. He's asking us, are we willing to go there? I'm reminded of John Hyde, who was a missionary to India way back in the day, deaf in one ear. And the crazy thing about him is that he had a meeting that he called together and he said, we are going to pray for the next year that God would grant us one soul every single day, come to Jesus before we come again and gather. 
And he went into his prayer closet, if you've read his biography, and if he hadn't heard or seen someone come to Christ that day, he would literally catch this, my friends. He would pray throughout the night, Lord, give me souls or give me death. Can't say that I'm there yet to pray such a prayer. But after one year, he saw 365 souls come to know Christ in that country of India. They all came together and they celebrated. But then John Hyde silenced them. He said, is God not a big God? Yes. Does God not want to save India? Yes. Then this year, let's double our number. And he did the exact same thing. And after another year, it was two souls every single day throughout the night. Lord, give me souls or give me death. And he saw his number doubled. Why? He expected great things from God. He attempted great things from God. We live so far below. The church I'm currently pastoring in Kentwood, Michigan. I went to our very first prayer meeting. I, I went there three months before COVID. Wasn't that exciting? And we had our first, we had, they had a night, uh, one month, one Friday a month, we had a prayer meeting. And this is, church is pretty large. And I walked into our prayer chapel. We actually have a prayer chapel. And there were three people. And I, I, I scratched my head and I was like, wow, we got some work to do. I went back to the staff and I said, I went to my prayer closet and the Lord has said to me, we are going to meet in the sanctuary next uh, month and we are going to see 350 people show up on a Friday night for prayer. And their eyes were looking at me like, what are you smoking? (laughs) I'm here to tell you the next month, the next Friday, 350 to 375 people showed up and we saw healings and miracles and we kept continuing on through that time. Even as COVID, we moved it right to my house and I was doing it through Zoom. And then now that we're back, we're seeing God truly make a difference. I would say to you then, even in our prayer closets, how much time do you spend time with him? We're so afraid of legalism and legislating time that we don't even talk about it. But I'm telling you, if you're just talking to Jesus on the run, you're not really practicing the principle of a prayer closet. I would tell you my greatest gift I can give the world is not my talent, not my sermons, not my leadership, not my personality, but the greatest gift I have to give the world is my intimacy with Jesus. And that only comes as I spend time and get to know him. Does this make sense to anybody? When we were overseas and after three and a half years of ministry, we only saw one person come to Christ and I called a church back in the state of Michigan to pray and they started praying every single day for an entire year. It was a prayer chain that lasted that entire year. And you know from the first day that they prayed for the end of that year, we watched God birth house churches throughout this area of the world where it was um, basically restricted. Don't tell me God can't do more than we could ever dream or imagine. I don't know of a day where we need to understand that prayer is the work. Not, I, well, I can just pray. I remember an old timer that's already with Jesus uh, preaching for lots and lots of folks. He said, you know what? In my season of life, I've stopped so much talking to people about God and I start talking to God about people. It's powerful, isn't it? You want your heart ablaze for God tonight? You want to be in share number one? You want to be over the edge and in the arms of God? You want your heart to be ablaze? You need to have a life that exemplifies prayer and has God's love. But the third characteristics is this. You're a life that's ablaze for God doesn't understand sacrifice. 
Jesus told us in Luke 14, if anyone wants to come after me and follow me, he must be willing to give up his mother and his brother and his sister and his children, even his own country. If not, he cannot be my disciple. I apologize because the church, we have sugar-coated what the message is. It is very, very clear. Salvation is free, amen? amen? But then after that, it will cost you the rest of your life. Anybody that's followed Jesus long enough knows there are scars. I would not take any of the scars away from my life. He's been there. He's been good through every single moment. It costs something to follow Jesus, but it is worth it. Does anybody believe it's worth it tonight? Can you put your hands together if you believe that? 1943, there were five missionaries, Dave Bacon, Cecil Dye, Greg Hosback, Bob Dye, and Eldon Hunter, going into Bolivia into the woods. And Cecil left a final message in 1943. If you don't hear anything inside a month, come and search for us. One month later, they went to look for them, and all five were martyred. Were they fools? I think not. 13 years later, five new missionaries were inspired by these missionaries and they went into Ecuador in 1956. And they're the ones that are more famous, Jim Elliott, Nate Sane and all the rest. And everybody said, you're a fool, especially in today's world, right? You are a fool to go where people don't want you. You're a fool and sacrificing. Why don't you stay and have everything that we have? It's more dangerous to say no to Jesus than it is to say yes to Jesus. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's more dangerous to say no. I remember, and you'll hear about the challenges I've had as I've served overseas and in the city of Detroit. And my mom asking me many times, uh, when are you going to take those kids? Well, they're all grown now, but when are you going to get out of there? And I, always, and, and I say to my mom, mom, I'm invincible until it's time to go home. You know what I'm saying? I am in the center of God's will and I fear nothing but one, the Lord God Almighty. Does this make sense to anybody? Jim Elliott, you're a fool. And Jim Elliott looked at the world and said, he is no fool who gives up all this which he cannot keep, but to gain what he can never lose. I remember we lived in the Middle East during 9-11. I had no clue what it was like in North America. I can tell you what it's like where I lived. All I can tell you is the United States ambassador told me to alternate my routes because my, uh, we didn't know who the bad guys were. And we lived in a pretty tough neighborhood. And because I was already known well because of building schools in that area of the world, I was a target. My wife, for the next six months, as I would alternate my routes, she never told me that she began to have a stronghold in her life that believed when I walked out the door, that was the last time she was going to see me. And it wasn't until she flew to London, England, that some Caribbean Brits ladies cast out the spirit of stronghold of fear from her life that she could be free. Remember when I looked and hear noises, my kids were young back then, and I heard noises, and, and as I would hear noises, I would kind of think, wait a minute, this is, I'm willing to sacrifice my life. I'm willing to sacrifice my wife's life. 
That's a whole nother story when you got three little kids in the other room. And I said to the Lord, as I would hear noises at nighttime, Lord, I'm all in. I trust you. You can protect our children way better than me. I'm listening to you every step of the way. Give me wisdom to know how I should follow. And I would say to you that the greatest thing that my wife and I struggled with is that people would say, you guys had so much sacrifice. And our response would be, sacrifice? Are you crazy? It's an opportunity. It's a privilege. It's an honor. That's what chair one is. That's what jumping over the edge is all about. That's what it is to be in the good soil. That's what it means to be a blaze for God. Can I get an amen? If your heart is ablaze for God, not only will you not, not see sacrifice, but money will not be an issue to you. That's a big problem. Jesus summed it up well. He said, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more important than food and body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And see how the lilies of the field are clothed? Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all the splendor is dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you, oh, you of little faith? So don't worry. He's saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The pagans, they run after these things. And your heavenly father already knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I get an amen? A heart ablaze for God is somebody that understands that God owns it all. And it's all about trust. I don't know about you, but I don't want any idol in my life. Anybody else? Somebody that's in share number one in a blaze. He is the most important and he will always be, have a number one authority in my life. No matter what, no matter where I go. My wife said to me when we came back from overseas and I've, I pastored one church and then I planted another church in the city of Detroit. And now in my third church, she said, Mick, you'll never be able to grow a church. I said, why? She said, your message is too tough. I said, so be it. I stand before one that I will give an account to. And I will not give you anything that will fill the seats up. I will give you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I'm the last one standing, so be it. Can anybody say amen? <laughs> a couple of other characteristics before we close about what it looks like to be a blaze for God. It's a life that does not see success as the world. Doesn't see success as the world. My only success is Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus said, and then I will enter and he will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's success, is it not? It's what it's all about at the end of the day. Nothing else matters. That's the only success. I'm reminded of Eric Little, the story of the one who would not run on Sunday back in the 20s for his country of the UK. Do you remember the story? But then there's the rest of the story. He did go to be a missionary to China. One of my best men who were, my best friends who was one of my, uh, best, one of my men in my wedding has been in Macedonia for 30 years. His mother was a child in the same concentration camp with Eric Little. She tells the story that this man lived out what he preached when he was on the track, even to his death there in the concentration camp, which he found himself. His captors, everybody else in between came and they engaged Eric Little. He truly was somebody understood 
that it's not about that tape that I, that I crossed as the gold medal. I am convinced he got the greatest gold medal of all time, did he not? When he said for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And when he crossed over, oh my, what a celebration, my friends. How are you viewing success? Are you worried about what people are thinking about you? Your next title, your next acquirement? My friends, stop with that. It's fleeting. For those of you in ministry, get off yourself. They're not going to remember you anyway. I can tell you that from experience. If you want to be on chair one, over the edge, heart ablaze for God and in the good soil, you will have a life that's willing to serve, right? It's time that we pick up our towels. Jesus served even to the one who would betray him. We don't just serve those who love us, right? That's a supernatural high calling. How many of you would sign up to serve somebody that really doesn't like you? How many of you would serve somebody that stabbed you in the back, spoken ill of you? Would you still do this? Are you willing to serve when nobody else sees? I got a confession to make when I was planting a church in Detroit, in the hood. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but that's basically my life. Whatever I've done, I had no clue. I just smiled and act like I knew. <laughs> Smiling does a great thing for me. I'm just like, <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, I found myself engaged with many who are engaged with drug addiction. One such friend was named as Tyrone. Obviously, I led him to Jesus, and he relapsed, and he called me from the hotel in which he found himself. And he said, Pastor, I'm, I'm really, really hungry. Can you come and get me? And I remember driving there. It was late at night, and I was frustrated, etc. And I remember as I went into his room and the stench into the hotel room, and my friends, this is what servanthood is all about. And I realized as I was there, all of a sudden something happened in my life. I realized that I had so many hurts up to the moment with Tyrone to serve him as I had, I've been hurt. And so I put this glass around me. And I would tell you that Jesus loves you, but I would only go so far because the pain was just too much. And, and, I, and it was a protective level, level that I didn't even know that I had. Does this make sense to anybody? I, I remember where it happened. His name was Tahir. I led him to Christ in the country in which I lived. And he was the guy that was going to lead our underground church. And, and as I met with him for nearly a year, reading the Bible and his great leader, he gets, he gets cancer. And I remember holding his hand as he saw heaven. I remember him explaining it to me while he's dying. And then as he was being paraded off by the Muslims, which I had no control over. I was so mad at God. And I was like, I can't go there anymore. And I didn't even know that I was putting this protective lever all around me. And then God said to me in that hotel room with Tyrone, as I was helping him get off the toilet, helping him get his clothes on, he's like, if nobody ever sees what you're doing, I do. And this is what servanthood's all about. You're not serving to get results. You're serving because when you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. My friends, if we're going to change the world, that's what a heart ablaze looks like. When you don't get this, when nobody pats you on the back, when you don't get a certificate, and those are all fine and good. But at the end of the day, you got an audience of one who sees what it's all about, and you say, Lord, count me in. Does this make sense to anybody? I'm reminded of servants. My goodness. I remember we were going to open up a field 
in Uzbekistan. And I remember flying into Tashkent. And as I was there, I was meeting with some local believers and we were all sitting around. And, and in that culture, you kind of have all the little um, pillows around. You kind of recline like in Jesus' day. It's kind of cool and you eat with your hands. And it's, it's really delightful. And they're all believers and we're getting to know them. There's only about six of them. And they just kind of talking like the weather, like, oh yeah, last week we were in jail. And my jaws dropped, but it was like the, talking about the weather to them. Yeah, we were in jail, and so we prayed as we were in jail, and so we decided we were going to be servants. We started cleaning the jail. And as we cleaned the jail, this is from the Uzbeks to me, as we cleaned the jail, our, the, the people, that the police in that particular place were so amazed, they started asking questions, so we just started sharing with them about Jesus. They said, we don't see any problem with you, and they kicked them out of jail. The power of being the hands, the incarnate of Jesus, we have underestimated it. And here's the problem, the older we get, we feel like we've run the race, been there, done that, let somebody else do it. And yes, as we get older, it may look different, but we're never off the hook. Does this make sense to anybody? Just looks different for each and every one of us. I I, I still think I'm 25. Anybody in that boat like me? (laughs) I ran a marathon with my daughter, who will be here this week, as, as Peter said, and that'll be the last marathon I ever run. That's when I realized I'm not 25 anymore, right? But it's really not all about that. It's about understanding that I'm here to serve. Let me give you two other perspectives of what's cheer. Number one, it looks like a heart ablaze for God. It's a life that has an eternal perspective. Do you see heaven? Can you see it? Do you know that Jesus is coming back? Is it on the, is it, let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another. And how often? All the more as you what? As you see the day of Christ upon us. Encourage one another, brothers and sisters. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's gonna be given to us, a new heaven and a new earth with some new bodies. Anybody excited about some new bodies? Here's the one thing I love about you get older. The older you get, the more you appreciate clothes. Hallelujah. (laughs) Come on. Is anybody understanding what I'm talking about? Yeah. You get a new body. Is that not good? An eternal perspective. I can't tell you how many people I've lost. Lost in the battle. Brad Newland, Taylor University friend. Gone too soon. Shamil. Well, I led to Jesus, gone too soon. Three of my team member missionaries, gone too soon, right? And although I grieve, I grieve as one who has hope and it keeps on keeping on. I remember I was so, I almost cussed. I was so mad at God. I was so mad at God when Brad left. I had this, here's, here's what my conversation was like. I don't get it, God. Here I am at this university, and Brad and I are going to go out with everything we have to change the world. And most of these students, all they want is their ticket to heaven, get rich, and do the American dream. Why would you take him? You think God answered my question? Absolutely not. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. Agreed? But here's what happened in that conversation. I said, God, I will double my commitment in his loss. I will consider what I've said to people. My last point is simply this. 
A life that is over the edge. In chair number one, a blaze for God is a life that's committed to the end. We start really well. We don't finish very well. How are you finishing today? I remember, I think Rod Guptel's in the room. Rod's a little older than me, but I visited his field in Colombia, South America in 1980-whatever, somewhere in there, 87, I think. And God gave me my life verse while I was there for the summer. And it was Paul when he was saying goodbye to the folks in Ephesus. And they said, Paul, stay with us. We'll protect you. You can do really good works here. But if you leave us, the word is out. They will kill you. Stay here, Paul. I'm quoting Acts chapter 20. And Paul said this. It's been my life verse ever since I was 21 years old. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And after he gave me that verse, situation after situation after situation where I thought I was going to die, he brought up again, Nick, do you really consider your life worth nothing to you? Do you really want to finish the race? Are you committed to the very end? I said, you know I am, Lord. You know I am. I took a team into China once and met with a gentleman named Samuel Lamb. Spent 25 years in prison for not having a compromised church, right? And I went to his house, four stories high, 400 people on each floor. He put his house church right on top of the police station. He said, what are they going to do, throw me in jail again? I don't know. And I watched him. He was in his 70s then. I watched him run the race to his last breath with everything that he had. And I looked at him as a young 20-some, and he would have been in 70-some then. And I said, I want some of that. I want some of that. Their blaze for God was catching my heart. I want to be around people like that. I want to be around people like John Hyde, who everyone said, you can't do anything in India. You're deaf. I can go to India and I can pray. Or Betty Olson, who was a nurse and gave up everything to Vietnam and dies. And all those that died that went with me, they said, my, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My friends, Jesus warned us what the end of days will be like. And the reason why he warned us is because he loves us. And so there will be people of hope, right? But I'm here to tell you as I conclude is that when it all gets tough and it gets tougher, if you're, in, if you're cold, seat number three, or if you're lukewarm in chair number two, it will be almost impossible in the middle of the challenge to say, now I'm going to be in chair number one. But as for me and my household today, we will serve the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And even if I don't feel it, anybody sometimes don't feel it, and I'm a very emotional guy. And even if I don't feel it, Galatians 6, 9, do not give up on doing what is right. For at a proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not quit. So I'm just going to keep on keeping on doing what I know is right 
fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith, not looking to the right, not looking to the left, not getting distracted, not looking at my past and saying, woe is me. I got my eyes fixed on Jesus. Second Corinthians 5, 17, I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new has begun. This is my moment. This is your moment. This is our moment together. So that's my call to you today. I don't care where you're at. I don't care what your experience is. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 60 years. What matters in this moment at this hour is, is your heart ablaze for God? Do you want more of God? This is your moment. I have now given you the challenge. Now, whatever you do with that, that's between you and God. But the word of God has now been spoken. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Now I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me as I pray. I'm going to ask the team to come on up. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would have this moment for us, your church. We're sorry for all that we have made it. And we're asking this moment that your Holy Spirit would do the miraculous for us. Would you speak to each and every heart? Would you do that which only you can do? Oh God, please hear our cry. Hear our cry right now and do the miraculous in our midst. We want more of you. We want more of you. It's in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to look up this way and I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Will you stand? And before we dismiss, is there anybody that literally feels there needs to be a response? And your heart is beating. And you know, you may already be in chair number one, but you just want more. And you just like, God, I want more of you right now. Maybe you're in chair two. Maybe you're in chair three. Maybe, I don't know, the Holy Spirit knows, but I would love to pray with you. Pastor already prayed, Holy Spirit, come down. That's our greatest hope, right? So church, what's your response? Come now. Who needs to be prayed? Who wants to pray? Come now from the back to the sides, we will pray together. Who wants to have a heart ablaze for God? And I don't care if there's anybody else. I know I want that. You can kneel, you can stand, whatever you like to do. I'm asking you to come now that we could pray together in Jesus' name. <coughs> They're still coming. Your heart is beating, but your feet are not moving. You are not guaranteed another moment. Neither am I. If the Holy Spirit is moving on you, now would be the time to respond, saying, Lord, here am I. Touch my heart right now. I need you. I want my heart ablaze for you. The nice thing about being a guest is I don't know how demonstrative or how laid back you all are. So I'm just who I am. And so if it's offensive, forgive me. I don't know what your culture is or isn't. All I know where the Holy Spirit is, there's freedom. Does this make sense to anybody? So I'm asking those of you 
that are still standing out there that your heart is ablaze for God, I want you to start praying. You should be praying right now. And those of you right now, I want you to start praying right now. You don't have to have just whatever it is you've come forward for. Go ahead and start praying to the Lord. You don't need to look to me. Maybe you raise your hands. Maybe you kneel, but just start praying and asking the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do in your heart. Come on, ask him right now in Jesus' name. I speak peace over each and every one of you. I speak love over you, commitment over you, the power of God over each and every one of you. Come on, church, continue to pray in Jesus' name. I pray your Holy Spirit would do a fresh new work in each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray you'd forgive us for our apathy. I pray you'd forgive us for our complacency. I pray you'd forgive us for our, our, our consumerism. Lord, help us to bow our knee before you, that you would do something fresh and new in our midst. We want to fix our eyes on you, not our situation, not our obstacles, not our giants, not our sicknesses, not our troubles in our relationships, but you and you alone. We need you to be high and lifted up on each and every one of our hearts right now. The day demands it. We acknowledge to you right now, oh, Father, we can't, but you can we acknowledge for you right now, we are weak, but you are strong. We acknowledge right now, with me it is impossible, but with you all things are possible. We acknowledge right now, you call us to be more than conquerors. We claim that right now. We acknowledge before you right now that if you are for us, who can be against us? We know greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we know that you are a God that lights people on fire. So here our cry, O oh God. Humble us. Humble us and make us like little children, that we would be humble before you and hungry like little children. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Believe in you for that which only you can do. Holy Spirit, fall upon this tabernacle. They talk about hundred, over a hundred years of ministry here, but Lord, we don't, we celebrate that. But tonight we want a fresh wind, a fresh power, a fresh visitation. We don't want something from the past. We want something right here and right now. So hear our cry, your, your body, the body of Christ, we cry out in Jesus name. We surrender. Would you repeat after me if you're able to pray this prayer from all through the tabernacle? Say, Lord, hear me. Touch my heart. Make it a blaze for you. I surrender. I surrender. Everything. My family. My future. My job. My health. Everything. Fill me. Guide me. Strengthen me. Give me your mind. Give me your heart. I am yours. I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that I pray. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that I pray. The name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who has won the victory, the one who will return on a white horse and celebrate his victory. That is the one we claim this very night. We celebrate you. It's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, we're gonna worship. You can stay, you can stand, you can sit. I really don't care. Do whatever God leads you. Would you guys lead us?